Jonah, the last few times I've been preaching. And uh, this book of Jonah has had it all, really. Uh, you know, rebellious prophets, great storms coming up on the ocean, giant fish, whole cities repenting. It's got it all. You'd have thought, actually, the end of the book should have come after the end of chapter 3. Jonah has rebelled against God, but then God has turned him around. He's rescued him by sending this fish. He's uh, spat him back up on the shore. And uh, Jonah then goes to Nineveh, does what God's asked him to do. And the whole city repents and turns back to God. Doesn't, God doesn't, well, turns to God. God doesn't destroy them. Amazing story. It'd be like, it'd be, imagine, you know, us going out into Sheffield now and to preach. Uh, and the whole city turns to God. Wow. Amazing. What a good ending to the story. You would think that would be it. But no, there is chapter four. And chapter four is just God and Jonah. Everyone else is gone. Everyone else is off the scene. Just God and Jonah. And now we get to see inside Jonah's heart. Now we get to see what Jonah is thinking. What's really going on inside. We get all the answers. We get to find out why Jonah ran away in the first place. We see the heart of the man. So let's read it. Jonah chapter four. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Oh, now, O Lord, take away my life. It's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose... God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, oh, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine Though you didn't tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Oh dear. It's not a good ending to the story really, is it? You know, you, you think chapter 3, it was such a good ending, that's where it should have finished. But no. We get this chapter 4, and it, it doesn't even really seem to be resolved. Jonah is left sitting, sulking, wanting to die, moaning against God. And God's saying, what's it all about, Jonah? Why are you being like this? And that's it. We're all going to have our chapter 4s. 
Each one of us is going to have a chapter four in our life. Whatever happens in our life, when everyone else has left the scene, whatever's gone on in our lives, the activities, however much people see of us, when our days are ended, we will stand before God and he will judge the thoughts of our hearts. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5, Paul says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. He will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise before God. We're all going to stand before God one day and he will expose the motives of our hearts. Not just what we've done. You know, Jonah stand there, oh, I preached and thousands repented. Thousands turned back to you. Yeah, but what was going on in your heart, Jonah? We can stand before God on that last day and have done whatever. And God will say, so what was going on in your hearts? We'll all have our chapter fours. We can all be impressed by external appearances. And God uses us all. God uses the least willing of people, as we've seen with Jonah so far. But in the end, what God is concerned about is what's going on in our hearts. See, religion tells us that what we do is important. Live a moral life. Go to church. Serve in church. Be respectable. I mean, these things aren't bad. But only if they come out of what has already happened in our hearts. People are like, oh yes, need to be baptised. That's part of, that's part of um, being a Christian, being a good person. Well, June and George could have got baptised today. They could have come and said, it's the right thing to do. But actually, the Bible says baptism is an outward sign of what has happened in their hearts. And it was very clear today, I would say, that it was an outward sign of what's already gone on in their hearts. What's already changed. Jonah has just become the most successful evangelist in world history. I mean, Pentecost is impressive, isn't it? 3,000 in one day at Pentecost. But here we have 120,000 in just a few days. And and in fact, some commentators say, well, actually, this 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand for their left hand, maybe that's talking about uh, babies and and infants, because adults can tell their right hand from their left hand. Uh, So maybe it was even more. Who knows? But it was a lot. A lot of people have just turned to God. But that wasn't important. I mean, that was great for them. And God was concerned about them. But now, it's about what's going on in Jonah's heart. God's had compassion on the Ninevites. And he hasn't brought about the destruction that he threatened. But Jonah isn't happy about it. And his unhappiness turns to anger. But we can look at this and think, well, what's he unhappy about? It can seem very strange. He says, you know, I know, God, that you're gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Well, he does know that because he's experienced that himself, hasn't he? He was the one who'd rebelled against God. He was the one who was getting away from it all in the boat. He was the one who got thrown into the water and was drowning and about to die. And he experienced 
that God was a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, who relented from sending calamity. He's experienced that. He says, I know you like that God. He's not saying it to praise God at the moment. He's saying it in a kind of bitter and angry way. Why? Because God has shown this mercy to Nineveh. God has shown this mercy to someone else. And the Ninevites, they're not God's people. Jonah is an Israelite. It's fine. God's a loving and compassionate and gracious and slow to anger God to the Israelites. But, but to Nineveh, this evil city, he's not quite twigging that he was pretty evil himself. He was rebelling against God. But no, the Ninevites, God's enemy, they shouldn't be receiving God's mercy and forgiveness. It's an outrage to Jonah. It's an absolute outrage. I mean, to put it bluntly, Jonah's a racist. He's totally racist about it. He knows what God's like, and he's, he's always had this sneaking suspicion right from the start that God's going to do this. He's always just had this suspicion that God's going to, God's going to forgive. I mean, maybe God even told him that. We don't know. Because we just get the, the, the uh, at the start, the word of God came to Jonah, go to Nineveh, preach against it, but Jonah ran away. But maybe there was a, a conversation kind of went on between Jonah and God at this point. Maybe Jonah said, well, hang on, uh, God, why do I need to go to Nineveh to preach against it? Can't I just preach against it from here, in the safety and comfort of Israel, in my own home? Why, why do I need to go and tell them that you're going to destroy them? Just destroy them, God. And maybe God said, well, Jonah, I'd, I'd like them to repent. I want to give them a chance. I want them to turn to me. I don't just want to destroy them without, without warning them. And you can imagine Jonah going, no, you can't do that, God. You, you can't, you, I can't give them a warning. I can't tell them because they might turn to you. And then where would we be? Then you'd forgive them, wouldn't you? He doesn't want that to happen. He just wants them destroyed. He doesn't want them to be forgiven. It's really bothering him a lot. To the extent where he goes, take away my life. It's better for me to die than to live. Get a grip, Jonah. You know, what, what's such a big deal for you? Why is it such a big thing? The answer could be shocking for Jonah, God's prophet. Because the truth is, Jonah is an idolater. Jonah has were idols. He worships idols. And he's just had those idols pulled away from him or highlighted. Do you remember Jonah's prayer in chapter 2 and verse 8 when he's calling on God? He says in verse 8 of chapter 2, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. You know, that prayer is coming back big time to bite Jonah on the bum. He says, with a song of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice for you. He's setting himself up for this fall, really. Do you know, remember, he, he'd almost died himself, like I said. He's run away from God. It was only his cry to God of help that the fish came. And so very quickly he's praying, oh, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice for you. He's been very self-righteous. He seems to have kind of quickly moved on from the fact that he was just in an awful place with God. Oh no, God, there. there. He's probably even thinking about the, the fishermen who have turned to God. He wouldn't even know that. 
But they've turned to God, these, these sailors. He, oh, those who cling to worthless idols, they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, God, with a song of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. Jonah, are you sure? Are you sure that's going to happen? Because it's come back to him now. He's clinging to worthless idols. What are the idols he's clinging to? Well, we've already maybe touched on one. We get a clue in chapter 1 and verse 9 when the sailors say to him, you know, tell us who's responsible. What do you do? Where do you come from? Where's your country? What people are you? And he says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord of God, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. I'm a Hebrew. Okay, he's just answering the question. But you get a a feeling his nationality is very, very important to him. I mean, in a sense, rightly so, because he is one of God's people. But for Jonah, it means more than that. It's more than about just his relationship with God. The exclusivity of it is defining him. And he's saying, God's our God and no one else's. No one else is getting any of our God. It's just for us. I guess Yorkshire people, traditionally, can be like that. I can say that. I'm a Yorkshireman myself. But, but Yorkshire has got a reputation of being a little bit exclusive. You know, we've got a cricket club that up until very recently was very proud that it had no one other than Yorkshire people playing for it. Yorkshiremen playing Yorkshire cricket. You, get, you hear people, I've heard people say, other Yorkshire, Yorkshire people say, ah, there's no way I'm going to marry a southerner. Not, not having that. Or say, well, I'd never move out of Yorkshire. Born a Yorkshireman, always a Yorkshireman. I'm staying in Yorkshire. That's where God wants me. No, never mind going to the nations. Yorkshire, it's the place for me. <laughs> and here I am, still in Yorkshire. <laughs> but, but, he's defined by who he is. He's defined. He's not a Yorkshireman. He's a Hebrew. But it's important to him. It's important to him. I suspect his job defines him too. He's a prophet. I suspect that was one of his idols, really. Remember, he's a successful prophet. No doubt very popular in his homeland of Israel. I mean, for Jonah, both of those things are good in themselves. But they've become, for him, an idol. He was putting his trust in those things. He was clinging to those things rather than his relationship with God. Those things were more important. That's why he ran. That's why he's upset now. They proved to be worthless to him. Do you understand? By not sending destruction on Nineveh, God has shown that he cares about the Ninevites as much as he cares about the Israelites. He's not destroying them. He's reached out to them. He's extended his compassion and his mercy and his grace to them. It's wider than Israel. I mean, that became a problem later on, didn't it? When Jesus came. And when Paul was, and when Paul was preaching the gospel, you know, Jesus upset people. Why? Because he was talking about his, God's grace and mercy and forgiveness going to sinners. No, surely they're outside of the circle. They're not the people who should be receiving God's mercy. Jesus is saying, yes, they should. It's the sick who need a doctor, not the well. Paul goes and he says, no, the gospel is for the Gentiles. And even people who've been with Jesus 
struggle with it a little bit. Even Peter struggles with it a bit. Yeah, God's got to persuade him. He's got to be come round to seeing. And some people just don't like it. The Gentiles receiving God's forgiveness, God's mercy. Outrageous. That was a problem for Jonah. Israel, being an Israelite, suddenly has been compromised. And also, by not sending destruction on Nineveh, God is making Jonah look like a bit of a rubbish prophet who's just got it wrong. You know, Jonah's come and he said, in 40 days' time, destruction is going to come. And it doesn't. Well, what's that, what's that saying about Jonah? Some people might have started to say, well, it was never going to come. Maybe Jonah just got it wrong. You know, we've been living quite happily up until now, and then this guy comes out, and okay, people have repented, but, but it's not happened. Well, maybe Jonah just got it wrong. I remember us here once um, responding to a word that was brought to us prophetically. Uh, just, a, just a warning, just a sense that someone had that in the nation, um, the Prime Minister at the time, this is several years ago, the Prime Minister at the time was going to be in real danger. Potentially of a, an assassination or, or some terrorist attack. And we spent a prayer meeting and we prayed, we didn't take the whole prayer meeting, but we prayed about this at the prayer meeting. We prayed for protection for the Prime Minister, I think it was Tony Blair at the time, that he would not have this terrorist attack against him. And that attack never happened. So what do we say? God's answered our prayers. The prophet got it wrong. Who knows? We don't know. Only God knows. Well, we prayed. Maybe God did something. Or maybe they just had eaten too much cheese. And we're just getting ideas that we're wrong. Who knows? It's not a big deal, really, if your heart's right with God. It's not a big deal because it's like, well, that's great. God's responded. But actually for Jonah, it is a big deal. It's a big deal, because he wants to be the successful prophet. He wants to be the guy who was known and remembered for, for prophesying that the borders of Israel were going to be extended. And they were. 100% record. Fantastic. He'd like to be the guy who was remembered also for going and saying, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And then Nineveh being destroyed. And the Israelites going, fantastic, they're evil. Well done, Jonah. Another great prophecy. Give us another one. No. He's prophesied Nineveh's going to be destroyed and nothing's happened. And what are the Israelites going to think? What are his people going to think? You know, is, is he, his reputation's been shattered. No, actually, he's done what God wanted him to do. Oh yeah, but that's not important to him. What's important to him is how he's seen What's important to him is his job. It's a major thing for him. And when God's taken both things away at one go, he wants to die. My life's not worth living anymore. This is who I am. I'm a Hebrew. I'm a prophet. And God, look what you've done now. You've taken them both away from me. Well, there's no point in living anymore. I want to die. He's forfeiting the grace that could be his. We need to examine our own hearts. 
And we need to, because it can easily happen, we need to say to God, well, God, will you reveal whether we're clinging to similar idols? We might be surprised by what they are. It, it may well be Jonah didn't actually realise and understand what his idols were. What he was clinging to, what was important to him. We can be blind to them too. Idols are the things that we worship. They're usually the things that we'll bring, we think will bring us some security. Or something that will help us with our fears. Help us get over our fears. So, for example, if we fear what's going to happen in the future, we might worship money. That might be one thing that we worship. We might try to protect ourselves, to save up money, make sure we've got enough money, whatever's going to happen. You know, the, the world's an insecure place. Let's store it all up, like the guy who stored up all his treasures in a barn, just in, just in case. And God says, no, you're going to die tomorrow, you fool. Now, well, that might be what we do. If we fear death, we might end up worshipping our body. We might become a bit of a, a health freak. You know, just got to keep healthy. Got to obsess about, about keep fit and, and, and making sure we're in, in good shape. And uh, we might obsess about our looks and we want to maintain our, our youthful looks. We're fearful of getting old. We're fearful of death. We try and slow down the ageing process. Maybe we fear loneliness. In which case we might worship relationships with people. We might be someone who uh, is really afraid and just almost unable to be single. I've met people like that before who just, you talk to them and they've just had boyfriend or girlfriend, just one after the other. You say, well, have you had any time being single? No, I, I couldn't do that. I can't be on my own. They're just, they're just fearful all the time. So they've got to have a relationship with someone. We may fear insignificance. And then we might worship our, our career or our accomplishments, what we can achieve. Doing good works, being really driven, being, being praised by people. Or maybe we will, are the sort of person who can never say no to people. We just like to be needed the whole time. It just feeds something in us. Yeah, we're doing lots of good things, but all the time it's feeding something in us because we're just insecure. We just fear that we're going to be insignificant. We need to be significant in life. Or maybe we fear not being accepted. There's all sorts of things we can worship there. Maybe even something like Facebook, we could get, become an idol. We take comfort in how many friends we've got on Facebook. How many people like our statuses when we post something. I'm going back, has anyone liked it? Has anyone said anything about what I've put? Facebook, for some people, can turn into a, a bit of a personal version of of. of uh, Hello Magazine, where we're not, we're not actually bothered about communicating something with people. We just want to put on what we're doing and we want to see if people are going to like it or people are going to comment. And, you know, uh, we, we can, in our own mind, become a bit of a mini-celebrity and update people on how amazing our life is or, or equally how awful our life is and, and get a lot of sympathy for it. And it can become like that. Now, hear me right on this. I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't post on Facebook, but I'm saying for some people that can feed something. It can feed an insecurity in them. It can feed just that whole thing about acceptance. We can, it can be a bit of a double-edged sword because if you, if you like that, then you can be sitting at home and you can be on Facebook and, and people are posting about, oh, I had a great time out with so-and-so last night or being brilliant day out with so-and-so and we can just think, oh no, the world's, everyone's enjoying themselves, everything's happening, no one's invited me, oh, and we can get all into, into ourselves and upset. 
it can, it can really be difficult. And we look to feed this not being accepted instead of saying who we are in God. We're accepted in God. We have significance in our relationship with God. We have a relationship that, that, that takes away loneliness in God. We don't need to fear death anymore. We don't need to fear the future. These idols can be in our lives. Even if we have a relationship with God, they can be there. And what is there in our life that would make us greatly displeased or angry or even want to die if God took it away from us? wonder what it is, if there are anything in our life that if God just took it away, God just put his finger on it, would just send us, oh, no, I can't cope anymore. Maybe one day we'll find out. Because as we can see in this chapter, God wants us to depend entirely on him. I mean, from Jonah's perspective, God just isn't acting how he wants him to act. Jonah just doesn't agree with how God is doing things. I mean, he, he kind of wants to make God in his image rather than the other way around. To tell God, these are the people you should forgive. This is what you should do in this situation. He's got it all worked out in his head what God should do. God's just not playing ball. God's just not doing it right. And we can struggle sometimes too how, with how God acts. We can struggle with what God's doing in our lives. We can struggle with what God's doing in the lives of other people. We can find it difficult to accept that God is God. He can do whatever he wants to do. But yet God doesn't give up on us. He gently challenges us on it. As he challenged Jonah. Jonah, have you any right to be angry? He's wanting us to see things from a different perspective. He wants Jonah to challenge how he's seeing things. Jonah, have you any right to be angry? Try and look at it from a different perspective, Jonah. Don't just see things from your own perspective. Don't just see something, these things from a self-centred perspective. And we see that he is totally self-centred, Jonah. He goes on and he goes to sit outside the city. He'll have gone to sit there just to see what's going to happen. You know, he's seen these people repenting and he's getting angry about that. Because he's thinking, oh no, these people are repenting and God's going to forgive them and he's now not going to send this disaster. But he's going to see the 40 days out because it was 40 days until God was going to destroy it. So off he goes. And he goes and sits outside the city and he's waiting for the 40 days to be up. What's going to happen? Maybe God is on his side after all, I don't know. Maybe God is going to do something. So he goes and sits there and he makes himself a shelter. And then God blesses Jonah. Now Jonah's in a right foul mood. Jonah's really choppy. Jonah's re again rebelling against God. But God is blessing him. He sends a vine to grow up over this shelter, weaves itself into the shelter. It cools him down. It brings some shade. It brings some shade. Jonah is very happy. It says, Jonah was very happy about the vine. And, and you can see, he, he just... He just flips from one to the other, doesn't he? So now you can imagine Jonah's thinking, oh, maybe God is on my side after all. Oh, he's given me a nice shady vine. Oh, maybe, maybe he will destroy the Ninevites after all. If he was in a church meeting, he'd probably come to the front and give a testimony about how good God was because he's had a vine come up and grow over him. 
I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. It's great to hear testimonies about God's blessing of us. But God is good all the time. He's not just good when he blesses us. He's not just good when we get a, a vine grow up over us, or we, or we get a new job, or we get healed, or we, or we find a relationship with someone, or, or, or things are going well, we get a new house. He's good when things are going wrong as well. He's good when there's difficulties. He's good when there's sickness. He's good when we're struggling to find a job. He's good when there is discomfort and pain about. God is good all the time. For Jonah, God was only good when he was fitting in with his plans. God was only good when he was blessing him. So the next day, God provides a worm which chews the vine so it withers. And then... He provides a scorching east wind and the sun blazes on Jonah's head. Well, things aren't looking quite so good today. And now Jonah's back. It would be better for me to die than live. He's gone back again. Now, he's not thinking God's good. Now he needs to die. But God has caused all those things to happen. It's explicit. It spells it out in the passage. God provided a worm to destroy the vine that he had provided the day before. And then when when there was no shelter, God provided a scorching east wind. God sent it. God did it. What's God doing? Just having a joke with Jonah? Just, just, is he, is he some sadistic thing? Oh, I'll give him a bit of comfort and then I'll hit, hit him with the scorching east wind and the sun on his head. God's not doing it for that reason. But God is doing it for a purpose. And God is in control. He's caused all of those things to happen. And he's brought them about for a reason. To teach Jonah something. To do a work in his heart. We see in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11. The writer says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God is disciplining Jonah. He's teaching him a lesson. But he's wanting to teach him for his own good, so that it later on produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. He's training Jonah. But at the time, it's very unpleasant. It's painful. And that's what discipline is like. God is concerned about Jonah's heart. He's not just concerned about the Ninevites. 120,000 or more people have just been saved, have just been, uh, calamity has not come on them in that sense. But God's not just thinking about that. He's concerned about Jonah too. Even though Jonah thinks God isn't. Jonah thinks God couldn't care less. God is caring about Jonah. Now we heard this morning from Gavin, he said, you know, God cares for each of the nations, all these nations of the world that we see at the Olympics, but yes, and God cares for Gavin. God cares enough to heal him. God also cares enough to bring healing to Kath, but God also cares enough to bring uncomfortable things in our lives, to bring things that we're going to find difficult, to bring the scorching east winds, And he's doing it because he wants to change our hearts and bring about a harvest of righteousness. 
And the question is, how do we respond in those times? Do we respond like Jonah did? Do we respond by moaning? Do we say, oh God, I've been praying and I've been fasting and I've been asking you to do this. I've been asking you to take this away from me. I've been asking you to, to, to change this situation with my friend and you've not done anything. So, I'm angry now, God. Do we start to despair? Do we start to not trust God? Do we become a slave to our own bitterness and self-centeredness? Or do we respond in a different way? Do we respond like Jesus? Jesus had to face the agony of the cross. Jesus had to face separation from his heavenly Father. Jesus had to face God's wrath and anger against sin being poured out onto him. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he goes out and he knows what's coming. He knows that this is what's before him. And he takes his friends out with him. He takes his disciples out and he says to them, will, look, will you come? Will you pray with me? You know, my, my soul is sorrowful, even to death. Will you come and pray with me? And he prays. And he says this in Matthew 26 and verse 42. He, he prays and he says, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away from me, unless I drink it, may your will be done. He doesn't want it to happen. He's, he's asked, if there's any other way, God, if there's any other way, he says it in verse 39 earlier on, doesn't he? My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. This is Jesus, the Son of God. It's okay to pray that. It's okay when we're in a difficult situation to pray. I'm not saying, oh, just, just, just think, oh, well, you know, whatever. I'm facing all these things. Let God do whatever he wants to do. Actually, it's okay to pray. It's right to pray. Jesus prayed. We've got some difficult situations in, in the church that we're facing at the moment. Really difficult situations. And we're praying about them. And we're saying to God, Oh God, will you turn, will you, will you change this situation? That's okay. That's kind of what Jesus prayed. Is there any other way, God? Can you, t- can you, can you work it out another way? But he says, but if there is no other way, If this is what you want, God, then I'll go with your way. Your will, not mine. Your God, I'm not. Well, he was, actually. But that's what we would say. Your God, we're not. God, we accept what you are going to do. Because you're in charge. You're God. We know you're God. We've experienced it in our lives. And we're going to trust you. Your will be done. If God is going to take us through things, he will give us the grace to go through it. And he will teach us and he will shape our hearts. Because it's our hearts that are concerning to God. He's got a different perspective to us. And again, God says to Jonah, when he's angry and he wants to die, gently he says, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And Jonah is just in a real bad place. He just goes, yes, yes, I'm angry enough to die. And God 
points out. He says, Jonah, you're upset about this vine. You didn't grow it. You've not even been involved. You've not been watering it. You didn't plant it. It's just sprung up overnight. I provided it. You've not invested in this. And now you're upset about it. But, actually, Nineveh is a country, it's a city, it's got people in it. I created those people. I care about them. I don't want to see them go this way. You're upset about the vine. I'm upset about Nineveh. That's my concern. Get a different perspective, Jonah. Look at things in a different way. He can't, Jonah cares about the vine. He couldn't care less about Nineveh. But God longs to forgive them. And he did that for us too. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus went to the cross and he looked out and he prayed in agony. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There might be people who we think shouldn't receive God's love. Maybe like Jonah. Not the Ninevites. We might struggle with some people receiving God's love and forgiveness. We might struggle with the idea of murderers receiving God's love and forgiveness. Or rapists. Or paedophiles. Or whoever it might be for us. And maybe we've been personally affected by some of these things. And, and we say, but God, not them. But God says, no, my heart is for them. I sent my son to die for them, as well as for you. And I want you to reach out to them and change your heart, and have your heart changed with the same message of God's love. Because we've got no right for forgiveness and mercy either. So here we are, at the end of chapter 4. And it, and it seems as though the story has been cut short. Nineveh gets a message from God. Nineveh repents. God forgives. Jonah is challenged by God about the state of his heart. And we don't know what happened next. doesn't tell us what happened next. It doesn't tell us how Jonah responded. Did he change? Did he see from a new perspective? Was he able to allow God to set him free from this bitterness and self-centeredness? Now we know God will do that. Because he's a God who's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. But we, we're not told how Jonah responded. Actually, my suspicion is, my suspicion is that Jonah did respond to God. My suspicion is that God's mercy and patience did, and discipline, did lead to a harvest of righteousness. How do I think that? Am I just guessing? Well, Someone wrote this book, and I would have thought, not many people are going to know what was going on in Jonah's mind, and what he was saying in the belly of a fish, apart from Jonah. My suspicion is, and it's just, it's not proved, but I suspect Jonah wrote this book. I suspect Jonah, his character changed, and he realised just what a fool he was being. He realised just how self-centred he was being. He realised about the idols that were in his life. 
And he wrote this book so that others could know too. And so that others could be challenged in their life. Whoever it was who wrote this book, whether it was Jonah or whether it was someone who'd heard the story from him, I suspect they didn't tell us because they were wanting us, the reader, to ask ourselves the same question. How are we going to respond to the things that God highlights in our lives? How are we going to respond to God? How are we going to respond when God doesn't do the things we think he should? When life just isn't going well? And God's gently saying, have you got any right to be angry about this? Have you got any right to be reacting in the way that you are? He's saying, will you trust me? Will you cling to me? And that's our question. Will we? Or will we try and cling on to these idols, which are worthless? Will we forfeit the grace that could be ours? It's been so encouraging this morning to hear the testimonies of George and June. God sought both of them out. Both of them have had, a, had an upbringing which has been a, either a Christian or a religious upbringing. Both of them have known something of God. Both of them have been through dark times. Both of them have been away from God to some extent. Yet God sought them out. God did a work in their hearts. God's brought them to this place here. And I believe there's others here today, maybe quite a few, who God is wanting to seek out to and say, how about you? It might be uncomfortable. It might be painful. Actually, the stuff you're going through in your life could be really painful. But God's wanting to seek you out. He's wanting to produce a harvest of righteousness in your life. So let's pray.